0: This is Homestyle Green episode number 30. Is passive house really relevant in New Zealand? G'day and welcome back to Homestyle Green. Matthew Cutler-Welsh here, I'm the host of the show and I'm a sustainable housing expert and my mission is to make homes that are good for people and good for the planet. And you out there are a designer or a building professional who also wants to create better homes because we deserve them and the planet needs them. This week, I'm going to pretty much jump straight into the interview because it's quite a long one. We spoke for a while; it must have been a um, must have been a good time. Uh, I spoke with Elrond um, Burrell, who is an architect in Herefordshire in the uk and i think it's a bit coincidental i've ended up speaking with a few people expat kiwis on the other side of the planet Uh, but i think it's also really useful because they've got some really good insights in things that are going on in europe and also that local knowledge here and we keep coming back to that idea that we're not all that different necessarily so in this interview listen out for a few things um I guess the key question is about passive house and is it really relevant for New Zealand? So I have a listen in to what Elrond has to say because he is a you know, has become a passive house expert. So I thought it was really useful to find out, you know, is this thing gonna fly in New Zealand? Is it really worth our while thinking about it? And what does it all mean? What does a passive house what does passive house actually mean? So we, we delve into that a little bit about that as well. And I also asked uh, Elrond a little bit about how he addresses the issue of cost of high-performing homes, and I think he had a really interesting answer about that as well. So listen out for that in the the interview. Just before I hit the play button, thank you to Dazza. Great to hear from you, Dazza, and thank you very much for your feedback. Dazza quite rightly pulled me up on a few points on a, a blog post from... September 2012 in which I discussed the best form of home heating I encourage you to have a look at uh, go back and uh, check the blog on homestylegreen.com and you can see Daz's comments and also my response to that but in, uh, in summary he made a very good point that it is all about insulation and that should really come first. Insulation and orientation, thermal mass, all those good things about the fabric of the home are certainly more important. And in fact, the better you do that stuff, it doesn't really matter then how um, how good your heater is because you won't need it very much. So if you can make a really good thermal envelope and have the house facing in, in, in the right direction, the the importance of the type of heat actually diminishes quite substantially so um that was the, the the gist of that but head on over to homestylegreen.com and you can check out the thread there all right that's enough for me now because it's a uh, it's a bit of a long one today uh, but i hope you enjoy that and i'd rather just put it all onto one episode rather than splitting it over two weeks so enjoy the interview and i'll catch up with you afterwards Welcome back. This is uh, Matthew Cutler Welsh here from Homestyle Green, and I am back on the the mic and talking again to the other side of the world. This time with Elrond from no none other than Herefordshire. Is that is that right, Elrond? You're in in Herefordshire at the moment.
1: That's correct. So I live in Herefordshire.
0: And and I should have asked you before we came on the air. Uh, you know Ben Adam Smith.
1: I know him a little bit from his work and his um, his podcast here in the UK. Yes,
0: right, because I, I it's uh, it's otherwise it's just too much of a coincidence to be speaking to someone uh, in the same <laughs> town again on other sides of the planet.
1: Oh, he's in Hertfordshire, which is on uh, just north of London. I'm in Herefordshire, which is right. on on the west west of England, right next to Wales.
0: Oh, I see. So you're you're actually hundreds of miles away. Right. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Shows how much I know. <laughs> now, um, can you tell us a little bit about how how you came to be uh, a bit of an expert in your area and also working in Herefordshire?
1: Well, I came to the UK about um, 15 years ago, and at that time I'd worked in New Zealand for a little while after graduating from architecture school, and there wasn't a lot happening in the industry in New Zealand at the time, and so I wanted to travel and I wanted to... Um, work in the UK, um, um, and the employment situation in New Zealand wasn't great at that time. You know, there was a lot of people graduating as architects and not not a lot of jobs around. But I came to the UK and I worked um, initially for some fairly commercial um, practices. And um, uh, just partway, you know, a few years into working um, there, um, really just started to kind of look at what I was doing and what impact the work was having. And there's a few things that kind of kicked it off. One was that um, my girlfriend at the time and I had a baby, and as you may may have found yourself yeah. when you have a baby, you start to kind of relook at the world and relook yeah, at definitely. things and think what what what's my impact mm-hmm. and um, and what kind of place am I helping to create? Working in the built environment. And the other one was that my um, my brother gave me a book called The Whole House Book, which we can talk about a bit later if, if you want to. Yeah. Um, which really just woke me up to some of the aspects of. Uh, Green architecture and green building and the positive impact that architecture can have right and about the same time I became aware of the company called archetype, which is who I work for now and um, So I moved moved jobs at various times from then on just always had my eyes open as to where I was going and trying to do more um, sustainable architecture and coming from New Zealand, I was very familiar with um working with timber, particularly as a as a kind of standard um domestic domestic construction method in New Zealand. And it was less less commonly known in the UK. Um, and so just a, a few years after that, um an opportunity came up with Archetype, and so I approached them and um and got offered a job there. So um moved was, to was there was there a shirt.
0: particular sorry, was there a particular attraction to Archetype?
1: Yes, because um because I'd seen Archetype's work quite early on when I was in the UK and they did um timber architecture pretty much all the way through. I mean they've they've always done other things as well, but timber's been quite at the centre of most of what they do. Right. And also um Archetype comes out of a background of working with Walter Siegel in uh, South London. And Walter right. Siegel was a was a local authority architect who developed um, self-building um, house uh, methodologies really so he was looking at how you can build um, build a, a small simple house yourself using off-the-shelf timber sizes off-the-shelf sheet material sizes so that right. you don't have to do a lot of cutting so it's not really complex so a really a really straightforward system build that was also fairly good environmentally but also had a really um good social focus. So really looking at the social and the people aspect of sustainability.
0: So would that so be what of, would that be along the lines of what we would call prefab today?
1: No, not really prefabrication because it was just, it was still just getting standard timber sized and materials on site and then putting it together on site. Right. But in a very simple, very simple frame construction put together in a way that um that just people that want their own house can put it together. So you don't need to be a, a qualified builder or anything like that. So it's
0: right. So um, just really, D-I- D-I-Y market.
1: that's right for the DIY and really helping people, um, to be able to do what they want to do because it's quite difficult in the UK to, um, to build your own house. Um, it's not, not quite the same as New Zealand where a lot of people do procure their own house one way or another. And, um, And so Archetype started when a couple of the architects that had worked with him went off and set up their own practice. Right. And so the social aspect and environmental aspect have always been right at the heart of the design process, which was something that had really started to appeal to me. And I'd always thought coming from New Zealand that I was fairly environmentally minded, but um, I sort of discovered that that was more of a more of an assumption than a reality. And <laughs> when you right. start getting to it, you realize there's a lot more to it than you might think of on the, on the surface. Yeah, right. And so, and so there's that aspect. And also I thought Archetype designed some really good buildings. And so mm-hmm. I really was really keen to go and work for them and carry on um, what they were doing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So it was about um, six and a half years ago now when I came to work for Archetype. And so um, at that point kind of just pushed on developing the aspect of timber design and timber building and then um and then archetype uh, moves on to doing passive house work about um, two or three years ago now, so um, just sort of developed along with that
0: now this is something that you've become known for as well, and in fact you were here just recently back in New Zealand and presented a couple of seminars around the country on passive house. yeah uh, what's your definition of passive house? <laughs>
1: Well, when we talk about passive house, we really talk about um, what is certified as passive house. So, so you're talking
0: passive house, passive house, as opposed to just passive house. Two well, words, one word, or two words? We
1: we use the German word passive <laughs> right. house, and yep. there's there's still a bit of discussion about that in the UK as to whether to use the two words or the one word. But we use the one one word yep. quite particularly because. Yep. Um, passive house is not about designing houses. It's about designing buildings. And the the house part of the H A U S part of passive house, the German word, means building. Just as just as uh, Bauhaus was a was a movement about architecture, not just about domestic houses. Passive house is about buildings, not just domestic houses. Yeah. And at the moment, a lot of our work is well, all our built work on the passive house side is larger scale than domestic. And although we do have domestic houses to the passive our standard on our on our um on our workload at the moment um still a lot of our work to pass of our standard is not domestic it's right. um commercial and schools and things like that so right. um and in terms of the definition we um it's often talked about as a the world's leading standard on energy efficiency. And it does achieve that, but um, we really like to bring people's focus back to the fact that the Passive House standard is a comfort standard, and mm-hmm. it's about achieving achieving indoor comfort in the building, whatever type of building it might be, by using the minimum amount of energy input. So it's um, although it does use the least energy, it's um, a lot of the way it's defined as a standard is about achieving indoor air temperature indoor air uh, indoor ventilation indoor surface temperatures on uh, on windows and things like that so that in the house or in the building is always comfortable and you never got you've never got problems with uh, cold drafts or with uh, mold or kind of feeling cold radiating off different surfaces
0: so what are the main things that some of the, a house has to achieve to qualify to get formal certification
1: to get formal certification, it needs to be um, it needs to go through the passive house planning package, which is a big spreadsheet um, working out the detail of how the building works. Mm-hmm. Um, it needs to achieve um, uh, a maximum heating or cooling energy consumption of 15, kilowatts, uh, 15 kilowatt hours per square meter per year, um, and then maximum primary energy of 120 kilowatt hours per square meter per year. Um, which are pretty low energy standards. Um, indoor surface temperatures are not allowed to go below, um, I think it's 17 degrees. So that uh, typically in the UK and probably most in New Zealand means triple glazed windows and doors because otherwise the surface temperature of the inside of the of the glass will end up being lower. And if you're anywhere near it, you'll feel the kind of cold radiating off there. Mm.
0: And is that, um, how do they measure that? It how it do it you... How do you measure that? Sorry, the, do they target the windows because they're going to be the coldest part, and just measure those?
1: Yes, it's uh, yes, it comes through the planning house, uh, the passive house planning ha- um, package. Right. So the, the the details of the windows and doors need to go in there, and there's quite a lot of detail to go in for them. It's not just a straight U value or R value that goes in. There's there's much more in terms of the dimensions and the um, and the performance of the glass and the frame. And um around the edge of the frame also, the thermal the thermal uh, bridging around the edge of the frame, the ones detailed. Yeah, Yeah. The other thing which is important about passive house is achieving 0. 0.6 air changes for the air tightness of the fabric of the building. Yeah. And um and it's quite important that people understand that there's a difference between infiltration of air coming in through the fabric of the building and the ventilation of the building. So we're not talking about the air that we should be breathing in the house or the or the building. Because ideally we don't we don't really want to breathe the air which comes in through the fabric of the building because there's um all sorts of health issues it's associated with that. Yeah. Um so we want to have the building airtight, not have not have air movement that's uncontrolled through the fabric, and then have the ventilation through opening windows and doors and through a um through a mechanical ventilation system that recovers the heat from the outgoing air. So you're getting constant fresh air coming into the building which is preheated so you're never getting a cold uh, cold draft coming in from the air and the ventilation rates are another thing that's required for for passive certification so to make sure there's enough fresh air inside the building for people to breathe all the time it is um it's much bigger issue than people seem to realize in um in the uk and definitely in the new, in new zealand from some of the research i've seen also in terms of Carbon dioxide levels inside buildings and mm-hmm. people not having enough fresh air to um, to really satisfy what's healthy for uh, for occupying a building.
0: Yeah, right. Just going back to your point there about infiltration versus ventilation. So you just you mm. defined infiltration as air that's coming through the fabric of the house, and and I assume that would include the roof space. So if if someone is putting what we would might refer to as a ventilation system, but drawing air from the roof cavity you wouldn't class it as a ventilation system unless it has a heat exchange system on it?
1: Um, well, it could still be a ventilation system, but um, um, it's not ideal to draw from a roof space because that's not fresh air from the outside, mm. even if the roof space is ventilated. In a, roof, a ventilated roof space has usually got um, some grills in the soffit or, or something like a 50mm yeah. slot running around the perimeter, which is really not adequate for maintaining a good source of fresh air Clean air coming into a building right the um i mean the the heat exchanger is is part of the ventilation system, but that's really just about maintaining the the indoor temperatures right because any any ventilation system you could um you could have the filters on it to make sure that that you're taking out the pollen or the pollutants or things like that but yeah. um but yeah, I mean we wouldn't ventilate from a roof typically because it's just not just not able to provide enough fresh clean air really
0: so the big question is is passive house relevant to new zealand um because it 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 has has come up against uh some interesting commentary um things like it's just a german money-making scheme or it's only for only really relevant to cold climates what's what's your take on that well
1: it's it's quite an interesting criticism in a way because it's exactly the same kind of criticism raised in the UK. And the UK, with the uh, the history um, of the World Wars, etc., is quite often resistant things from Germany, yeah. and um, so we do get the same kind of bias here, where people think, why why would that be suitable for the UK? And um, and that was part of the reason why I was asked to give the talks in New Zealand was that some of the people in New Zealand work kind on of the pacifist side of things wanted somebody that's working with passive house and from new zealand Mm -hmm. and familiar with familiar with work on a, a wider range of projects to talk about those kind of questions yep and i think we we need to be clear that yes it is a german it is a german standard originally and it was designed and come up with by german building physicists um but it's a performance standard so it applies to anywhere in the world in any climate in the world um, actually it's much, much more difficult to achieve Passive House Standard in Germany than it is in somewhere like New Zealand with a slightly milder climate. Right. And um, and so um, the argument that it that it's too onerous for New Zealand is, uh, is a little bit off off the target, I think, because really it, it will be a challenge for New Zealand for people to come to the Passive Standard because it's a much higher quality standard than what most typical building is built to. Yeah. Um and that's the same in the UK. The one of the big problems in the UK is getting the construction side of things to really um maintain quality and bring their bring their level up to what's acceptable. Um but saying that as I said, the, the climate in the UK is milder than Germany, so it's not quite so difficult in the UK and then in New Zealand the climate is milder again. Yeah. Um although obviously down in the very deep south of New Zealand it's gonna be quite similar to the UK would have thought. Mm-hmm. Um but that just means it's slightly easier to achieve a standard. But it really is a quality assurance standard about achieving the indoor comfort and how you do that in the most energy efficient way. And so I, I don't see that there's any argument why New Zealanders don't deserve to have the uh, the best possible indoor comfort for the least possible energy input. I mean, uh, it's um, just because it might be a bit more difficult compared to how the industry is at the moment. I mean, that's probably no bad thing for uh, the construction industry to start to raise their game and start to produce something which is the best quality. And, right. So,
0: um, so, the, so the main challenge, you say, is uh, really around building decent quality in the first place? I think so.
1: And I think that in New Zealand there may be, at the moment, there's um, a range of supply chain issues. So that, um, for instance, triple-glazed windows are probably not really available in New Zealand without bringing them in. But uh, in the UK, we were we were using triple glazed windows um, six five or six years ago before we were doing passive house and we had to get them in through um, some particular um, window suppliers um, and they, and triple glazed wasn't common in the UK at the time and in the last five years or so triple glazed has become more and more common as um, as passive house becomes known but also as um, other other certification for sustainability. Picks up more um more requirements here as well. So um, we have the Code for Sustainable Homes, and we have Briam here, which yeah. although they they aren't particularly successful in in really making buildings energy efficient or or really addressing the comfort issues that well, right. they do they have raised a lot of um questions and they've really um uh, really increased the kind of awareness in the industry about some of these things. And so triple glazing has just become much more common. So. I think New Zealand's um, given a few years and a bit more pick up of this kind of things. so you know, triple glazed windows and other things will become more common and more available. Also,
0: when I look at the payback of upspecking a house based on a fairly uh, simple, I guess, th- um, heat loss calculation on a, on a basic design. It quite yeah. often shows that in a place like Auckland, that the energy savings from going from a standard double glazing with non thermally broken windows, uh, aluminium frames, um, saying upgrading that to a, a low E um, IGU with a thermally broken frame, I'm probably adding fifteen to twenty percent more cost at the moment, right. but the savings purely on a energy balance of the reduced heat load for that. Mm. house they they just don't stack up so how how would i convince someone yet? yeah you're not getting it, it just would the the pay the payback just on energy savings from from doing that would be so long that it wouldn't wouldn't be worthwhile right. why would someone or what's the argument to um still go ahead with that high performance window
1: well there's there's two ways of approaching that in in a way is it is that there is i mean there will be energy savings but there will be indoor comfort increase so Mm. there's talking about the quality of the indoor space that the people are going to live in Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and the other side of it is is designing the building so that these things are incorporated in the original budget so designing the building with the that outcome in mind so if you're just talking about taking windows out of an existing building and putting new windows in that's Obviously, a slightly harder argument because they're investing directly in that. But when you're designing a new build, then um, thinking about these issues right from the outset and incorporating that means that the overall budget uplift for the building doesn't necessarily need to be as much. Um, and and we've done. And people talk about the cost uplift here as well. But but the projects we we've worked on for Passivhaus, we've always got them in on the same budget that was allowed for. And you know the budget wasn't set to try and achieve a passive house with convinced right. the clients that it's the right way to go right and the primary way we've achieved that is through designing with passive house in mind rather than trying to add it in later on Yep. and I think the same holds true for a lot of design aspects is that people think they want a certain feature and they want something later on, and when you add it part way through the design process it it inevitably means it costs more whereas if it's thought about right at the very beginning and incorporated then that becomes an integral part of the design and integral part of the budget. So that's kind of incorporated that way. It's, yeah, um, I mean, I suppose it depends on people's people's particular attitude about things as well, because for some people, the imperative of just addressing the climate, climate change and other environmental issues and looking at the comfort of their house and how resilient it's going to be in the future as energy prices go up and, um, and, you know, they're going up and, and, every part of the world at the moment, and they're not going to come down again. They're, mm. they're on a kind of continuous upward move. Um, so for some people, whether it's got a direct payback in a short period of time or not, that's not necessarily going to be the question.
0: Yep. Yep. So I guess that the, what the question really is, is what's the purpose of the home and how important is the the comfort, uh, yes. not just the theoretical energy savings? Is that kind of the, the general yes. philosophy? Yeah, absolutely. And in the UK now, do you, is it, do communicating that level of comfort, I think is quite hard sometimes because it's, it's very hard to feel uh, a house on a cold winter's morning if you're visiting it on a warm, sunny Saturday afternoon in a, <laughs> in a show, you know, as a show home. Yeah. Um, because it, then you're just mostly interested in the kitchen and the, and the, uh, the number of en suites. Um, sure, because that's what we're getting told are the important things. So, how uh, do you have any ways that you can describe or um, get across this, that and the importance of that the comfort?
1: Yeah, I mean, the way we tend to approach it is to try and take people to some of our finished buildings. Yeah, <laughs> because there's there's just nothing you like buy. being at it exactly. There's really nothing like actually going into a building and realizing that lots of preconceptions really aren't true and that actually the, you know, how comfortable and pleasant it is to be in the building is really noticeable. And because we've done a number of schools, we've had some really good feedback from the head teachers about um, what the feel of the building is for the, for the staff working in it and what the feel of the building is for the kids coming to school and particularly um, schools have traditionally had this kind of idea that sometime, middle of the afternoon after lunch kids come back in everyone starts to get a bit kind of drowsy and yeah, the yeah, afternoons yeah. are a bit difficult kids don't learn very well yeah, teachers yeah. get a bit grumpy and what they've found in the of our passive house schools is that it just doesn't hold true anymore because yeah. the because of the ventilation which in summer is natural ventilation through the windows and uh, in winter is through the um through the mechanical ventilation with the heat recovery um just means that the indoor spaces are just always really fresh always got plenty of plenty of air and them, always got plenty of oxygen they're not kind of stacked up with co2 which can be a bit of an issue in uh, in uh, just naturally ventilated buildings and yeah. um and they they find that the kids are really awake and really alert and that they're really enjoying themselves and really engaged in things in the afternoons as well as the morning. so yeah um so for schools it's really easy we just take them to one of our schools and say look <laughs> yeah this is what it's like come and yeah. come and listen to what the head teacher as a client can tell you about it and things. yeah um, so I think the same thing would, would apply for houses really would be to yeah. take, um, but as I said, we haven't we haven't got a, a domestic house finished to, set, to pass a certification yet. We've got several of them in design stage at the moment, but none right.
0: finished. But in general, to build better houses, we need more better houses. To show people, yes,
1: we—that's <laughs> right. We need some examples, and it, it really, it, people really do need that kind of reality check because yeah. there's all sorts of uh, nonsense out there about what a passive house is and what it's like, and people think you can't open windows and things like that. It's just kind of um, when you go and visit one and you see what they're like and you realise how pleasant they are. It's uh, you know it makes all the difference.
0: Yeah, and and I think you've you've hit the nail on the head of one of the other key uh objections that often crop up is that oh in new zealand we like indoor outdoor flow and, and we don't like to be closed up in a, in an airtight box mm. um i'm assuming that's not the i case. think that's
1: well i think that's um i think it's an interesting idea because new zealanders do have that kind of idea i think the the reality is most people when they're indoors are pretty much indoors and <laughs> and um, mm. and, um And actually, ventilation in typical houses in New Zealand is pretty poor, and people don't open their windows enough to get fresh air coming through. And um, and in the UK, I don't know in the in New Zealand, but in the UK we have um, trickle vents on windows, so little a little gap at the top of the window you can move aside, and people just don't use them, and they don't actually provide enough ventilation.
0: Yeah. And so, does it? Does that is it part of the reason for that? Just coming back to that surface temperature parameter because i I would think that would mm. be a key part because part of the reason we don't open our windows we, we fear that they're going to get cold and they probably do because they cool mm. down so much because there's nothing there to mm. keep the house warm but if yes. the fabric of your home is is warm is that what makes it easier one of the things that makes it easier to actually crack a window and, and get some air flowing through
1: absolutely because um I mean, in summer you can open the window anyway in a passive house because yeah. you're, not, you're not losing heat and you know it's encouraged. But in winter, yes, if people want to open the windows, that's fine because you'll get you'll get a flow of cold air coming in depending on what the temperature is outdoors. But the reality is that if you as soon as you close that window, the indoor air temperature is going to balance again very quickly inside, yeah. and you're not going to have the draft issues. Yeah. And actually, they did some did some studies in Europe, and so you know the climate there is pretty cold and in winter there in a passive house they left the window open and actually so they left it open day and night and um, the temperature was dropping indoors the temperature was dropping approximately one degree celsius per day wow and then it and then it balanced out at about after you know after several days it balanced out at about 15 degrees or something like that and then didn't actually go lower um so i assume they had a ventilation system running at the same time to keep to keep things working but um but you know, when you get the fabric to that level of performance, actually you've got that much that much more robust building to deal with. So yeah, you're not. Yeah. Um, That's yeah, very impressive. I mean, I think, that, and I think you know, and there's no reason why in a passive house you can't have um, sliding uh, sliding doors if you can get the right ones, or or doors yeah. that open and have lovely decks outside, and you know, yeah. open indoors, outdoors, all that stuff. And in our schools, in the classrooms, we almost always put in a swing door for coming to and fro to the outside from the classroom and also a sliding door
0: right
1: because they like to talk about outdoor classroom and outdoor teaching yeah and so we quite often put canopies outside the building so they can open up the sliding door and then the kids can come and go between the outdoor space where they might be doing one kind of learning and the indoor space where they're doing another one and so this idea of having the flow between the indoor and the outdoor is actually really well facilitated by right. having a good you know a good robust building like that
0: so if, can, if it can be done in the north of England, it, I'm sure it can be done in uh, in Christchurch or uh, Absolutely. Auckland, Wellington.
1: Absolutely. It's really I, um, about that quality of the building fabric in the first place means that it just works so much better.
0: That's right. And and I guess that is, one, like you mentioned before, that is one of the big challenges in uh, explaining that different philosophy of of stepping up the quality versus the vast majority of, uh, of of the approach which is on on bigger is better uh, lower price per square meter out out in the suburbs well, i think um,
1: that, i mean that's that's interesting just touching on that one very quickly is in the uk we don't have the same issue because people aren't looking for big houses typically i mean some do but then it's not the same imperative that i know is there in new zealand but people here like to look for eco bling in right. the sense they want to, to have photovoltaics and uh, solar hot water and they might want to have building wind yeah. turbines or you know, yeah. those kind of stuff, yeah. which are all quite expensive. Yeah. And um, so we always argue that, um, you know, you want to have the quality of your building right first, which because the building fabric is going to last the lifetime of the building, yeah. which we would hope is at least 50, 60 years, maybe a hundred years if we're doing a really good building. And um, all those other kind of things don't last that long. Yeah, And, yeah. Um, you know, PV and stuff has got 10 years guarantee on them. And then you need to change the inverters after 10 years and that. So, there's maintenance and ongoing cost issues with them. Whereas, if you get the building fabric right, first off, that's an investment for the lifetime of that building.
0: This fabric first concept is something that keeps cropping up. I think there might be something in that. Mm. Now, listen. <laughs> um, the I, I want to um, ask you about your inspiration again. You mentioned uh, a book that was, I think, your brother handed to you. Um, that's right. Can you tell us a little bit more about that?
1: The book that my brother gave me was called the Whole House Book. And it's written by an architect called Pat Bora and a quantity surveyor called Cindy Harris, and both of those those two worked at the Centre for Alternative Technology, which is a um, which is a really amazing um, exemplar sustainable kind of um, educational centre out in Wales. Yep. And um, and that book is just fantastic because it really covers all the aspects of materials energy comfort all these kind of different things in a really accessible and really um, kind of delightful and interesting and engaging way it's not specifically about passive house and i i first read it many years ago before i'd even heard about passive house but it's still a really good reference book for coming back to and looking at all those different aspects and um is it, is, that's it another- is it
0: sort of uk centric or is it uh, applicable yeah. everywhere um, well, it is, it
1: is UK centric in that it's written quite specifically about the UK, but a lot of it would still apply to anywhere in the world because yep. the kind of, um, the kind of approach to how you can look at, um, what materials are suitable from a toxicity point of view, uh, applies anywhere. Sure. And then looking at the kind of energy involved in production of materials will also be similar in most places because, yeah. you know, some, something that has, um, a lot of energy input into it is going to require a lot of energy wherever it's produced. Yep. Um, and that's also another aspect of archetypes work is really using um, low toxicity materials and, um, and the, the low embodied carbon also. So, um, yeah, I think it's, it's a really great book and um, I'm really grateful that I got that and I've always referred back to it ever since.
0: Great. We'll, uh, we'll link that up in the, in the show notes so people can find that easily if they want to have a read. Um, any other sort of uh, sources of inspiration that you uh, have at the moment?
1: Yeah, another another place I quite often go to, which is um, which is really good for um, interesting and well written and uh, technically very competent, is um, the blog of a couple of guys in the states, and um, they're called the Brute Force Collaborative, and um, and they've got a got their own website. <laughs> yeah, um, there's a there's a background to why they're called Brute Force. I forget right. what it is now, but there there is a reason behind why that's
0: called. That, that. sounds pretty <laughs> offensive.
1: <laughs> and they're pacifist designers and um and I think they're architects as well and um and they've got a blog and they're quite active on twitter also and um and their blog is great and they did a they did a fantastic April Fool's blog as well about doing a uh pacifist toilet <laughs> oh, I <laughs> which, think
0: which um, is it worth there.
1: a worth a read if people yeah. are uh, won't have a laugh and they know about the pacifist side of things and they right. um they they post about inspirational things and they also post about technical things, which is really great.
0: Awesome. Now, um, thank you for that. That's two two really good resources there, and I think it is important to not uh, feel alone. Too alone in wanting to produce better quality homes because sometimes it is a bit of a minority battle. Yeah. yeah. Now you mentioned Twitter there, and I, I've noticed that you personally are quite active around the blogosphere and the the Twitter. You're on Google Plus. You've got a great LinkedIn profile that you you keep updated have you got a strategy around that your your personal marketing in that you are obviously working for a, a firm as well how's mm-hmm. that sort of working out for you
1: well i think there's um i mean it is i do i do kind of market for archetype that i work for in a certain to a certain degree but i think that the reality is that engaging on social media works much better at a personal level mm-hmm. and that um if a company's just putting out pr kind of stuff then it mm-hmm. really People get a bit bored of that kind of stuff. And I personally find that Twitter, Twitter particularly, Google Plus is gaining a bit of momentum and LinkedIn's slightly different, but Twitter particularly has got a really engaged and really interesting community of people on, from my perspective, on the Passive House and also on the BIM, the building information modeling side of things. Yeah. And in terms of my kind of strategy, is that. I keep a fairly narrow focus because I think it's too easy to try and cover everything right. and get you know not get into anything particularly. Yep. And so my activity is really focused about the passive house side of things because that's where where my professional um, side of things is focused, and also I focus on the building information modelling because that's um, I think an important part of our work also, and. That also has a very active and very passionate community online, um, of people that are interested in using and sharing information. And I think what what has really developed is that there's in that case, there's two slightly intersecting communities in a way, because there's a lot of people doing BIM that are really not interested in passive house, and a lot of people doing passive house that, you know, not really doing BIM. Yeah. Um, but having those two means that I'm Interacting in two different communities and um, cross-fertilizing ideas between those two, and interacting with a wider range of people and introducing things to different people, um, and just because people then know that those are the kind of areas I'm focused in, and they know they can engage in, and get involved in those areas with me if they want to, um, and it's not just about uh, not just about my personal whim or things like that. So yeah, um, and has yeah.
0: has that worked? Have you got? some experience now to show how being active in those spheres has helped you professionally? Um,
1: I can't think of any specific examples in terms of helping us professionally at the moment, but but certainly um, it, it raises our awareness and our consciousness of a lot of different issues because we see what's going on. And well, Actually, I can think of one example. Okay. So there was on Twitter, there was quite a big conversation around, um, the indoor humidity in so it's a bit technical and a bit kind of geeky in a way, but around indoor oh, I'm humidity. Into, I'm into technical and, and geeky. <laughs> indoor humidity in passive house buildings, and because some of the early Austrian passive house buildings were having some issues, right? Um, and they did a lot of post occupancy evaluation on it. So there's some people kind of challenging passive house, saying you know this is an issue if you've yeah. got mechanical ventilation that dries the air out too much. And what happened was that there's a bunch of people in England. Um, jumped in and offered various um, links to post documents evaluation data and studies that have been done and the lessons that have been learned from that yeah. and um, and also some of us also talking about what we do because we don't do things the way they were done in Austria in the 80s or the 90s because we know what's gone on there and we've learned that lesson so right. very quick dissemination of information and then when I was in New Zealand one of the pacifist designers here was talking and saying you know we do the ventilation and the heating this way. And what do you think about that? Mm-hmm. And because we've had that kind of conversation things on Twitter earlier, I could fill them in on some of the issues on that and why we do things slightly differently in the UK from what's seen as the standard kind of way of doing things. And, you know, the typical, everyone assumes pessimism is as a certain way, but actually right. it, it really isn't the case. It's quite, um, uh, because it's the performance based. there's lots of different ways of approaching it. So we've approached things in a specific way here in England and I know other Passive of us designers in england have been doing the same and that's because of the lessons we've learned from yeah, what's yeah. gone on in europe and the history of that and so that kind of stuff disseminates very quickly through twitter and google plus and um, and then obviously it comes back to real life when you have conversations with people also so it's um yeah, yeah it's really fantastic from that point of view and it's just a really good bunch of enthusiastic interested people and like you said it's good to know other people that are trying to push the push the quality of building up around the world and so there's, you know, talk to people in the States and in Canada and in, uh, in Japan and uh, in New Zealand and things like that and so just a much greater awareness and connection with the, the worldwide community of people mm. doing this kind of work.
0: That's great. I, I think there's a really good lesson uh, in there because I, I suspect that a lot of people in the building industry, designers, builders, architects, are possibly a little bit slow to get onto the social media Um avenues, but um, mm. obviously a really great way to stay connected to what's going on and potentially leapfrog a, a bit of learning as well. Because I, I, I've mentioned yeah. to others and I, I think that it, it does us well to focus on the the more similarities in our building stock and our demands. And our, I mean, we're all people, we all enjoy the same comfort parameters. Um, because right. I think quite yeah. often we focus on differences, particularly here in New Zealand, mm. we say, oh, we've got special climate, we've got special housing stock. <laughs> but you know we've probably got a lot more similarities than we we do have differences so i think there there is a lot to be learned that has already probably absolutely. been learned yeah. so there's yeah. no point in, in um going through the same same learnings twice if we can avoid it
1: absolutely and i think that the construction industry in in all countries that i'm aware of is actually very very slow to change yeah. So being engaged in social media is actually really good for increasing that speed of change just yeah. through the dissemination of information and lessons and, and, as you said, not trying to reinvent the wheel, as it were, because it's been done already.
0: Yeah, awesome. Elron, I have taken up a, um, more of your time than I had uh, promised, and I know that it's early in the morning for you. you have got a full day, <laughs> full day ahead of you.
1: Full day ahead, yeah.
0: So, hey, look, um, I want to close up. Unless you've got any any final Thoughts, um, advice for builders, designers here in New Zealand, um, particularly around Passive House?
1: No, I think that we've covered it really well. I think it's really about the comfort and the quality and, um, and really, you know, people wanting to buy a new house and build their own house in New Zealand. That's, you know, that's the New Zealand dream for a lot of people. Yeah. Should be really supported in doing so and really um, just – encouraged to build something which is of a good quality that they want to keep. And even if they're only looking to live in the house for seven years and sell it on, you know, it may be the case that they do that, but they'll know they've got a really good quality product that they can mm. then sell on. Yep. Or they may find they just love living in it so they want to stay there. So yep. um, I think Perfect. um people are people are being sold a bit short, just building large cheap houses really.
0: My sentiments exactly. Very good mm-hmm. night to finish on. Hey, thank you very much for your time, Elrond. Really appreciate that. And uh, hopefully we'll see you back here in New Zealand at some stage, either virtually or in real. Um doing <laughs> maybe doing some doing some work and bringing all that great great knowledge and learning back with you. Yes,
1: certainly hope so.
0: Thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much. I'll talk to you again later. Yeah.
1: Cheers. Thanks, Matthew.
0: Elrond Burrell there speaking to me from Herefordshire in the UK. And Oh, I really enjoyed that conversation with Elrond, kind of made me want to go and study architecture and uh, and be immersed in that sort of detail every day. He obviously is really enjoying what he's doing and it's great that their company is having so much success and demand for people wanting to build a, a high quality. I want to take some learnings from these interviews and it's quite hard for this one because there was so much good stuff in there. Um, but if I had to extract three main points from uh this the conversation with Elrond, this is uh these are my highlights. Firstly, the, the passive house standard, it, it's a comfort standard and sure there are some technical requirements to achieve the certification, such as the 15 kilowatt hours per meter squared per year and heating um, and the 17 degrees surface temperature. So, I mean, they're all hard facts and and quantitative measures, but the underlying philosophy, I think that's a really useful point, that it is a comfort standard. Secondly, the issue about justifying the extra cost, and I really like the way that Elrond reframed that as not an additional cost, but basically starting with that original budget, building these comfort uh, performance standards into the original brief and then um it, subtracting anything out from that it, is just going to uh, highlight the fact that you're going to end up with a substandard product so i think that was really useful and also around looking at the the fabric of the home and, and the lifespan of that and saying get the things right that are going to last for 50 years because you can always change in and out the things that are only going to last 10 years like um Things that you bolt onto the house, but it's the stuff that's going to be there for the life of the house, you may as well get that right. So I think that's a really useful one. I'm I'm continually looking for a bit, um, better ways to try and overcome that that upfront cost barrier that always seems to crop up. And finally, um, social media. I, I mean, Elron is is great. I mean, I'm seeing him since the interview pop up all over the place and LinkedIn. I met him on LinkedIn actually, uh, and and was able to make contact and, and organize the the interview. Uh, Twitter, he's on Google plus, he, he's all over and and that can be a bit overwhelming, but I think he makes a really good point that building sectors can be quite slow to change, but social media inherently moves really, really quickly. So that is a good way if you are a building professional or an architect. Get out there and um get in get get uh, get active in in virtual networks because there is a lot of really good conversations happening out there and just finally it wasn 't in my my key learnings, but i 'm interested in people 's thoughts um, particularly here in New Zealand about indoor outdoor flow. I think Aaron had a really good point there about the the reality of indoor outdoor flow in houses, and we often use that i think or hear it as a an ex, a reason to Um, disregard concepts like passive house so what do you think is is indoor outdoor flow important and what does it actually mean in terms of house design that is enough for me because we're approaching 50 minutes so thanks for hanging in there if you're still listening love to get your questions comments feedback you can do that over in itunes it'd be great to get a rating or a review in itunes we'd love that um but also you can head over to the blog homestylegreen.com and you can always contact me comments at homestylegreen.com thank you very much had a great month uh this month in april um thanks for sharing because our community is growing that's very very exciting so Goodbye for now. We'll talk to you again next week. Thanks very much.